0: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart. And if it sounds like I'm introducing this podcast with a smile on my face, it's because I totally am. I am having a really good couple of days, okay, which is, I don't know, I feel like it's been a while since I got to start the podcast and just be happy about general stuff, It's been a hard, it's been a hard couple of weeks, been a hard couple of months. It's been a lot for all of us. And I feel kind of happy that I'm, I'm catching myself in a really high moment for this pod so that we can elevate just a little bit. I hope, I hope you're in that space too, or appreciating this energy too. Now, why am I so happy? Is it because I have solved any major world problems or figured out eternal enlightenment or made a major, unbelievable, amazing shift in my life? No. (laughs) Am I happy for a super silly surface reason? Yes. (laughs) So Dennis and I just came from the car, the car store. Is that a thing? Is that a word? Can you? <laughs> Wait, it's called something else. You don't buy cars at a car store. You buy cars at a dealership. Is that is that it? I don't know. We actually went to the car store store, the Volvo store, which is even even more even more fun so since we moved to Sweden we've not we've been trying to get me a car you know we don't have a we don't have a car here yet we sense our big move and it was a little bit of a struggle to sell my old car in Aruba I had like a I don't know I had like a unique kind of car that was just hard to sell for whatever reason I had a jeep in Aruba and it took a little while to sell and then we finally sold it and Dennis has put an unbelievable amount of work into finding and figuring out like the perfect best car in his opinion for me to drive in Sweden when we're here. And because we're in Sweden and we're Swedish now, he really wanted us to get a Volvo. <laughs> and I really didn't want a Volvo. I really I I I really don't care about cars. I really have no I didn't really have a preference at all. I just need something to take me from A to B. That's it. And he was just so involved and enthusiastic and he was kind of dragging me into all of these sites and things, We, you know, like really figuring out like what is the perfect car for us to get. And I found, okay, this would have made me even happier if that's what what I was sitting with now. But I realized that the car I actually want, if I'm going to step into like wanting a car, is I would love one of those old school Defenders, you know, one of those Land Rovers. I want a green, like, forest-looking 9090 or 991 Land Rover. Like, that's what I would really love. And if you don't know what this car looks like because you don't care about cars the way I normally don't care about cars, you can Google this, okay? It's kind of like a car you would take to go off-road in the forest. It kind of, okay, that's not what I want to do, but it's kind of like a hunting trip kind of car, except I would never do that. But that's, yeah, that's the car I wanted anyway. And then Dennis convinced me that that's a terrible idea. Getting a car that's 40 years old is not a wise decision and I need to get a car that's not going to break down on me and that I can actually drive. So anyway, long story short, we just came from the car store where... (laughs) Where we bought a car for me. And I don't know why this made me so happy just now. Honestly, I don't know if it's that it's kind of the combination of having had a big like thing on our to do list. We know as long as I don't have a car. Our lives are logistically very difficult. I have been borrowing my grandfather's little car for a long time. He doesn't really drive. So he's and he's super fine with me driving it. But I you know, that feeling of borrowing someone else's car like it's not yours. I'm nervous, I'm gonna bump it or something. And it's like, not my car. And I want to give it back to him. So and then anytime we only have one car and that car isn't even ours, like logistically our lives are just challenging. You know, it's like I need a ride to go places or which isn't a huge problem because I, I stay home most of the time. But anyway, we check this big thing off the list and all of a sudden I feel really elated. Like I feel so excited that I'm it you know why I'm so happy? I just realized it as I'm sharing this. It's not just like the car and the stuff. Like of course you should be happy having bought a car. Like that's a big thing. But it really makes me feel like I live here now. <laughs> I don't know what about it. I mean, what what I mean, we have a house here. I'm registered here. Leia goes to school here, all the things. Like we very clearly live in Sweden. But there was something about like signing a contract, like a deed for a car and my name, getting insurance for the car. I don't know. And then going to the dealership and like driving away with my own car. It was so fun. I feel so I feel like such an adult. Oh my god, this was the most adult thing to do ever. <laughs> I've only ever. So my whole history with cars is like, I never had a car in Sweden because I didn't even have a license when I left Sweden. I left Sweden when I was 18. And because of a slight DIY, not DIY. Do it yourself, although I did do this myself to myself, but a DUI, as in driving under the influence, which I did when I was 15. Oh my god, is this the podcast where I tell that story? I guess so. <laughs> oh god, I'm so glad my dad doesn't listen to this show. I don't think he's ever heard a podcast of mine, he's never going to, but he has never properly heard this story inside and out, and I think it would piss him the hell off. Even now, 20 years later, he would get really upset. Um, So yeah, I had a DUI when I was 15. Uh, I hadn't even turned 16. It was the year I was going to turn 16. I was 15 years old. And because of that, I, it was like part of my, like I went to jail and everything, like it's a story and I'm going to tell it. But because of that, I was not allowed to get my driver's license in time. It's like this thing where, I I was put on probation essentially where I couldn't get my license done the same time as all of my friends did. So when I was like turning 19 and I left Sweden to I moved to Costa Rica I still didn't have a license. So when I left Sweden when the year I was turning 19 I moved to Costa Rica I still didn't have a license and I didn't really know I was going to not ever return to Sweden or that it was going to be 15 years before I returned but I didn't end up getting my license until the next year and it was a trip I had or like a summer I spent in Sweden in between Costa Rica stays and uh, finally got my license and then you know and I think my dad always just kind of I don't know if he just thought I was lazy about it or um, I have to really think back like I can't remember this conversation with him all I remember is that this DUI happened And as with many things in my family, there were secrets kept from my dad, just because he's a little bit ragey. (laughs) And this is like a typical thing that he would just lose his shit over. And I was so scared to tell him. And I think my mom even agreed like, okay, we're just not going to tell him this. This is not going to serve and serve anybody if he knows, like, let's just keep this to ourselves. (laughs) But so yeah, so that was, yeah, I got my license. I think I was almost 20. Um, I remember being super stoked that I got it before my brother, even though I had this probation thing. Um, He's two years younger than me. And in Sweden, you get your license when you're 18, not 16, like in the States. Um, So yeah, I, I think I got it a week or so before him. So I think it was right before I turned 20 because my brother had just turned or right when I turned 20 because he had just turned 18. Like he here, if you're stoked about your license, I mean, I guess anywhere, it's like you turn 18 and the next day you're there, you know, you're like doing the whole the whole test and everything but so I lived in Costa Rica. I didn't have a car, right? I, I got my license, but I didn't have a car. I was driving my boss's car for a little bit, like for this company I worked for. And then I was just living in a town where you walked everywhere. Like I literally didn't need a car for anything. And if I needed to go somewhere far or go to the capital or, or do something, like there was always a ride. So I, I just never really needed one. And then when I moved to Aruba, when I met Dennis, that was really my first time needing a car, and I remember this feeling. It's kind of similar to this feeling I'm sitting with now of like, oh my god, I'm gonna buy a car! This is so exciting! I felt like such a grown up. I met Dennis. I was 21, so I guess we got. I think we drove his car, and he had this car. is still It's still alive. It's still in use. Um, he had a Toyota like pickup like a pickup, like a white pickup truck that used to be a cop car, used to be a police vehicle, but it wasn't anymore. And it was just made all white. And it was like a, and that was his second car. He had a little, oh God, why can I remember? He had a little one of those cars that like doesn't have a proper door. Oh my God. What are they called? A jimmy, jimney. Like a Suzuki. He had one of those little car, cars where you could like stuff surfboards in the back of it. And it barely had, it didn't really have proper doors. It didn't close. So if it rained, it would rain into the car. That was his first car. And then this car, that was an old cop car. That was like a truck. That was his, his first car that he bought. Like in good use I guess it was like a good proper car only used ones or something like that so that's the car we drove for a long time and our first date Dennis and I I I went to the surf shop <laughs> the surf shop he was managing and he asked me if I wanted to go surfing and I was like sure let's go and we went down to the parking lot and I opened the passenger door to his car this white truck and then it was really new I think he'd just gotten it that year so it was like a really nice I mean to me it was like a nice looking car and I opened the passenger door and trash just fell out into the street. I mean, this was my first date with this man. There was like subway sandwich wrappers and like bags of like half-eaten bags of chips and beer cans and just like things just flowing out into the street. And I was like, "What, what, what is happening here? And he didn't even care. Like there was not a bone in his body that went, oh, that's embarrassing that this is happening. Like I'm really a slob. No, he was just like, get in. And I remember like picking that stuff up from the street because I felt like I was littering opening this car, moving trash away from the seat. And there was like, You know, there was like beach tennis paddles and there was surfboards in the back. And there was, I mean, it was like he lived in his car and he was just a slob. Like it was disgusting. He still would be like, I mean, I have to clean out the car continuously. That's why like in our relationship, in our marriage now, I try to separate our cars, even though we're married, we've been together forever. We have a kid. We share everything. I try to separate our vehicles if I can, because my car is clean and neat. And if he drives my car for a week, it's like I... I don't want to get in there because it's so full of shit. Like, that's just who he is. So so that was the first car. Um, Even though he was a slob, I fell in love, right? And then we drove that car for a while. And for a while, because we only had one car our first year together in Aruba, I drove him to work every day. And then there was even a window of time where he worked like nine to six at the surf shop and I was bartending and waitressing and I started work at five so then I would drive him to work and then he had to take the bus from downtown to where I worked, where I had parked the car um, and take the car. And then I would work all night and then we would like see each other in the middle of the night and then he would get up to work and I would drive him and like that was our life for a while. But, you know, it's like early days of a young relationship, sharing a car. It was, it was really cute. But so when the time came and I realized, OK, I'm really going to live here like this is my guy. And we decided to get a car. I remember him asking all the similar questions that he's asking now except 23-year or 24-year-old version of Dennis, which wasn't like, like now he's like, okay, listen, the Volvo is the safest vehicle. Look at this video, this like simulated kind of video where there's like a crash test doll in the car. Look at this compared to the Audi. Or compared to the Hyundai or compared to the whatever. You see how the Volvo is just the most solid and it protects the children and it's so-and-so, you know. And I think back then it was more like this car. (laughs) I think it was we can afford this. (laughs) And uh, this car is going to fit all of your stuff. I was lugging around a lot of yoga mats at the time. And uh, this car, oh, I remember one of his selling points was no one's going to break into this car. And another selling point was when this car breaks down, we're going to find parts for it. Like the island will have parts for the car. Like he was still like pitching me, car, the car is the same way he is now, or like, it was kind of similar. And then the car that I ended up affording was a, a Mitsubishi Pajero. It's called a Pajero. And it was from, I think, ninety ninety four or something like that. And I mean, this was what, 2011, maybe. So it's still a f- really old car, like 16 year old car, this car. And it didn't even have like the paint. There was no paint on the outside. Like there was no shine. It was one of those cars. It's just so old. It's completely rusted. There was just splotches of like weird paint on the outside. It was it's. So it's such a bad condition. I mean, it was really crazy. But it was really what we could afford. We were totally broke. We fought to be able to have any money to even like buy this. You know, it's not even a second hand car. It was like a 20th hand car, you know. And the thing about this car, and I was remembering this today, I was smiling so big, is that there was something broken, like the radiator was leaking. <sighs> Okay, disclaimer. Anytime I say the names of any kind of car parts in this podcast episode, I have no idea what they look like or where they are or what they do. And maybe I'm maybe I'm referring to the wrong thing. I'm just saying words I know, okay, to make myself sound like I know what cars are. What what is even a car? <laughs> okay. So anyway, every time I was going to leave with this car, I had two huge bottles, like old Coke bottles those big like two liter pet bottles of Coke in my car, but filled with water. So before I turned on the ignition and left, I had to fill up the tank with water or the car would overheat and like explode on me in the middle of the road. And I did that all the time. And then sometimes I'd be driving and I'd be driving like a little further than normal. It would just start smoking and I would have to pull over on the side of the road pop the hood be really careful to not like burn my hand off because everything was so hot as I poured another two liters of water into that tank because it just and it was this kind of car like it was getting fixed it was always at the shop even though you know his argument of like we can always find parts here like it was always at the shop and it wasn't at the Mitsubishi shop like it was at in Aruba we call it the guy under the tree which is like the casual way of saying it's like a like a handy person who like a person who does stuff in the back of their own house like you drive to that guy's home and he's a mechanic but he's under the tree fixing your car he's not like at at a shop right because those those people are always cheaper like that kind of service is always cheaper so my car was always getting towed it was always like I was always stranded somewhere it was just oh my god but I had so much fun with that car the floor of the car was covered in sand at all times it was it was really it was really fun and then really after that we kind of grew up a little bit and realized okay this is just not sustainable i need a car that's not going to break down all the time so we got i don't even know what the word or what like what what kind of car this is i can't remember it was bright blue and it looked like a little lego toy car it wasn't like a fancy car or anything but it had weird doors that opened from the inside like from the middle of the car so like the front seat front passenger opened like a normal door but the other door opened in reverse does that make sense wait i'm gonna i'm gonna have to google this Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean vegan skin and body care at Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. Okay, I even just paused the recording to Google and I can't find this car. It's like a weird car name. I, I don't know why we chose it. It was really weird. And it had those weird suicide doors that was just dumb because no one could get in the back seat. To get into the back seat of the car, the person in the passenger seat had to unbuckle themselves, get out of the car, and then move the seat forward to open the back seat, to open the back door. Like, it was so stupid. And we had that car for a little while. I never liked it. It was just boxy and, like, didn't drive nice. And I don't know. Um, And then... So that wasn't really like a car I chose. I don't, I don't know why. We like I think that I think it was like a friend of his who was like gave him a deal or or something. I don't I don't know why I would never choose that car. It was just no, I don't know. But then I got pregnant. And that was really my first moment. Like I got pregnant. We finally, like we weren't struggling with money anymore. Um, I was eligible for like a loan if I wanted to take one. I remember it was the first time ever I got to, he was like, okay, listen, like you get to sit down and choose the kind of car you want. We don't have to buy a car from a guy under a tree. You know, you can like, we can go to a dealership and like, look for a, look for a car. Like, let's, let's see what you want. And he was doing the thing he's doing now. Well, this one is so-and-so and this one is so-and-so. And he wanted me to get this like minivan looking Toyota with seven seats. And I remember like, we, I am not, I mean, maybe I will be one day, but I am not a minivan person yet. Like I was only 20, how old was I when I got pregnant? I was 27, I think, when I got pregnant with, with Leia. I'm only 27, I'm not ready for a minivan. Like, come on, get me a cooler car. So I chose this black Jeep and it was all black. There was something special about it. It was like a limited edition something because it was black rims, black. uh, Yeah, it was a cool looking car. Like I just remember that. But it was not a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a smart car. It was just a car that I, for some reason, thought that I would enjoy driving. But it was, didn't have a four wheel drive. And we lived on the North Shore in Aruba So it meant like anytime I wanted to walk the dogs, I had to take Dennis's car because he didn't want me to drive my nicer car there. And like the car thing between us has always been a little bit of a point of contention, I think, because I am not a a caring person when it comes to like, he's the kind of person who's really careful and always, you know, checking like, is the car okay? And taking care of things like he's just when it comes to the vehicle and the engine and the outside of the car then he will just fill the car up with trash i mean that's who he is and he really he really cares like i don't know if it's a man thing or just a dentist thing where i'm like i could still drive that Pajero, like the mitsubishi like i would not care i would still drive that car i would drive the like nicer jeep that i had last And anything in between, like, I, I just want to get to where I'm going, okay, I don't care about looking cool. I don't care about something being expensive. I, I, I would much rather have that Land Rover from the 90s, because I think, I think that's a badass car. Like I want, I want the kind of car where you're just like bouncing around in the back. Like, I think that seems like a fun car to drive. But I'm not one of those like, yeah, it doesn't really matter to me, to be honest. So we've had this thing on our to-do list forever to get a car and he's been fighting for us to do it and finding the right one. And then he he was, he was found one and then it fell through and then he found another one and then that fell through. And then finally, he's like, this is the one and this is like a unicorn rare moment because I found you this kind of car that's a hybrid that you can drive electric because that's what I really wanted, but we couldn't afford it. And he managed to find one that was just a little bit beyond a bit outside of our budget, but it was like manageable (laughs) because I really want to, if I can drive electric, I really want to, you know, it makes such a difference and difference in how I feel about driving a car overall. And so, so this whole time he's been the one so excited and I've been like, yeah, whatever, let's just, let's just find something. doesn't really matter. And then today, he took me to the dealership. And he's like, a child on Christmas, right? He's so excited. And I'm just like, okay, let me just sign these papers. And then I see the car. I haven't even seen it, right? I didn't even see the car beforehand. I just let him pick, right? I saw a photo. I was like, it's fine. It's a Volvo. <laughs> it's a Volvo. You love it. I'm sure it's great. And I see the car. I'm like, dude, it's, it has seven seats. Like it has seats on the back. It can unfold like two extra ones. And he was like, I've told you this 500 million times. It's so great. There's two extra seats in the back. We can drive your whole family. You can like pick last friends up if you want to have play dates. You can you can put them down. You can have the dogs in the back. Like you can we can drive and go skiing. You can do a road trip. Like it's a big car. Like it's sizable. He was so upset. I didn't even remember it had seven seats. I was like, oh, I have now arrived at the point in my life where I'm excited about the seven seats, where I can be the minivan <laughs> person and feel really good about it. Like I don't have to pretend I'm too young or anything. Like I'm ready to have a seven seater I am totally and as I'm like in the car just learning about the features and the stuff and how to drive electric and all of this I just got I just got so excited I mean really 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 excited and driving here driving home just from the car place I had the windows down I was listening to really good music I felt like a grown-up living in Sweden And maybe that's why I'm smiling really big right now, because I really do feel like this is some sort of full circle moment. I have never had a car in Sweden. I'm Swedish, Swedish born and raised. I've never had a car living in Sweden. I've never driven my own car in my own country ever. Right. So somehow it feels like a moment that maybe I missed when I was When I was, you know, 18, 19, like when I was at that age, when I should have had that moment of like getting my own car, driving, driving in Sweden, I never had that. And now I'm here now. And it just feels, yeah, it feels like an adult moment in my life. And I'm really, really happy about it. (laughs) I really am. Also, I can't believe I just spent 25 minutes talking about cars. What has this podcast become? I promised I would tell the story about this DUI. My DIY D U I. That wasn't a U T I. I always, (laughs) I always, I always mix these, these abbreviations up. But it it doesn't still haunt me. I don't think so. I guess, actually, I don't know. I guess because I, I, I haven't had a proper life in Sweden. So I don't know if I were to apply for a job, would they? like, would they check my record? I I don't know. I really have no, I'm gonna have to research this after this podcast now that the whole world knows I'm basically a, I have past, I have a criminal past, right? (laughs) Okay, it's not as bad as it sounds. Okay, it sounds much worse than it was. And you're gonna realize why it's not as bad. So I was 15 years old, about to turn 16. I had just switched schools, which was a really big thing for me at that time. When I so I'm born in this city called Uppsala, which is really the one of the main university cities of Sweden. It's an hour north of Stockholm. It's really close. My whole family is from there. So my dad, my mom, like all the my uncles and aunts and grandparents, everyone was always Uppsala. Like it's Uppsala. It's, family is from Uppsala. And we lived there until I was nine, nine, almost ten, when we moved to Stockholm. And we lived downtown Stockholm in the city, closest city center for two years or something like that. So I went to school there, and which is kind of close to where my mom lives now, actually. And when I was 12, my mom bought a house with her husband at the time, and they moved to an island just 20 minutes away, which is still part of Stockholm, but it's not like center Stockholm anymore. And the island is called Lidingö. And this island, for me at the time, I was 12, I was mostly spending time like south of Stockholm. I was. I went to a really diverse school. I had friends that spoke all kinds of languages from all over the place. And I really thought the idea of moving to like a very wealthy, because Lidinga is kind of like an, an upscale kind of neighborhood. I had a lot of judgments about that. And I really didn't want to, I, I just didn't want to go. So we moved there. I had to move there. I was really forced. I didn't want to move. But I decided to stay in the school I was in, 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 in Stockholm City. So I stayed in that school for until I graduated and the school was done, which is for Sweden. It's called Högstadiet, which in the US, it's the thing you do before high school, whatever it's called. Is it middle school? I feel like it should be middle school. (laughs) I don't know what all the things are called. But basically, the year you turn 16 in Sweden, you, you switch and you have to start a new school. There's only like you only have to legally go to school until that age. So if you want, you could go and into working life but I, I think very very few people skip high school so when i it was time for me to transition this was a really hard time like if i think back at this time i can really feel my my whole body anxiety being 15 years old having spent my my whole like teenage years in this one school with this group of friends being this very one kind of person it was like who i really thought i was right And I graduated with honors with one of my best friends still to this day, Matias, him and I, we were the only ones in our class who who graduated like with honors. It means when we had our graduation, we got to, I don't really, really know what it meant. We got like, it wasn't a scholarship. It was like the people who had the really top grades, top of their class got to, (laughs) like, what did we get? We got a certificate of some sort and flowers and like, People applauded. I don't remember. It was just, it was a big deal for us at the time, anyway. And I remember we were really nervous. We were like holding hands, sweating, walking through church because all these graduations, like a lot of them happen in in churches, weirdly. (laughs) So, it's so weird. Anyway, so because I had really great grades, it means I had all A's and all in everything. I studied really hard. I was really all about school at the time. I had all these options, right, for schools, I thought. So I had my, dream school I wanted to go to for high school. And then I had another school I really wanted to I had a third and a fourth and a fifth that I was really excited about that had these really specific programs for what I wanted to do. And they were all in Stockholm City Center. And just to be sure, I applied to 14 schools. And then there's this rule in Sweden where, and it's it's still to this day, and I'm dealing with this now as a mom, where it's about proximity. It's about geographical proximity to the schools that you're supposed to go to. So that meant because my mom had moved us over to this island and I wasn't living downtown Stockholm anymore, even though I had better grades than anybody I knew. And I had graduated, you know, middle school with like honors, we we call it like graduate. It's not I know it's not graduating, graduating, but like finished middle school with honors. I didn't get into a single school I applied to because of proximity because I lived in the wrong district. And I remember crying myself to sleep. I was really I was crying myself to sleep about this for weeks for weeks. And I, I was calling this I was calling the not the government, but the commune, which is like I was calling like the district, the people in charge. I was calling the schools. I was asking for help. I was writing people and just it was there was no way. I don't know if there was a lot of kids in our year and everything was just full, like there was a waiting list for all the schools, or I just didn't get into a single one. I could only I only had the choice of the two high schools that were in the district of Lidinga of this island where I was. At the time there was two. One of them was like was seen as a little bit fancier, like like a little more upscale. The other one was seen as a little less <laughs> upscale. Anyone who lives in Ludinga knows what I talk about when we talk about Heshpi and Gong Satra. <laughs> and I was so terrified of like all the wealthy people, and I I just really felt like I didn't fit in. I, I thought everyone was a snob. That's what I thought. I was really judgmental. There, I mean, I just didn't want to be with that crowd. So I chose the more down to earth school aka the shittier school. I really did. I chose the school that was like less regarded. (laughs) And the school actually closed. They completely closed their doors. It doesn't exist anymore. It closed because it sucked. (laughs) I think it sucked and was underfunded and they just had to close. So it doesn't, it's not even there anymore. I made great choices. Okay. When I was 15. It's funny how they put this decision in your hands like at this age it's kind of intense like because it really does not that it affects your whole future I think all oh, of this is bullshit I think they tell us so many lies when we're at this age like every single thing we do and every grade we get and like how we graduate is going to affect our like how kind of job we get and how we live and how we feel and that's such a small part of it oh my goodness I wish I was I wish I was a little more concerned about my well-being than I was Get you know The best school or the best grades because I was going through this time of my life feeling like absolute shit. I was drinking every day. I was a total party, crazy party person. I smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. I was always, I was really arrogant. I was really unhappy. I was really angry at the world. I was getting secret tattoos left and right, drinking in school. I mean, I was really, I was, I was, I was intense at this time, like very, very, and somehow I still got really good grades. So I guess I can pat myself on the back for that. But so what ended up happening is I had to go to this school in Lidingö that I really didn't want to go to. And the day before school was set, to begin like for I had the whole summer leading up just full of anxiety just feeling like my life had ended I had lost all of my friends I had lost my whole community I had lost my way of life I wasn't just gonna start a new school with new people but it was a new energy a new vibe a new way of speaking even like it was it was really 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 different from what I was used to and the day came first day of school I had cried myself to sleep the night before I woke up in the morning, just dreading it, got to school and and I remember like day one. I didn't know what to wear. This was like one of those things. I and, oh little Rachel, I could cry. I I I really I, I was fifteen. I didn't know what to wear and I felt so nervous about not fitting in, about wearing the wrong thing, and I didn't even know Like with my old crowd, I remember I knew what was cute. I knew like I was cute. I felt, I always felt cute, right? I knew what to do. I knew what to wear. But then now I was stepping into this whole new world with new people, people with money, people who like lived totally different than I had ever lived. And I didn't know what was cute over there. Just this this concept of being a teenager is just such bullshit. It's so, so stupid. No one should have to go through this shit. But I was just agonizing over what to wear, knowing if I, if I wore the wrong thing, I would be judged for that throughout all of high school. Like, so I remember I begged my dad. Oh, this is so funny. I begged my dad to buy me a pair of what I felt were designer jeans, they were diesel jeans, diesel, okay, diesel jeans, and which was like the most, like the nicest pair of clothing I had ever had. Like I would, I my whole life, I mean, my mom was a single mom. My dad always had a lot, like he's a wealthy man. My mom didn't, and I grew up with my mom, so we we never had a lot. We weren't starving. It wasn't terrible or anything, but we just didn't have excess or of, of things. And all my clothes came from H&M forever and always, right? And then I, I got these pair of this pair of jeans I really wanted. I was so happy because I felt like, okay, this is like a brand name jeans. No one's gonna make fun of me because I'm wearing these like ten dollar pants from somewhere else, you know? And and someone, I can't, I don't know who, what first day of school as I'm walking down the hall, yelled at me. Like they yelled like a like a slur, like something degrading. Just yelled at me. And I remember just wanting to like sink through the floor and die like I felt like oh my god and it was something about my clothing it was something I was wearing that wasn't right I think I had like a like a cap on or hat on of some sort and I don't know I don't know it was just so bad no one spoke to me all day I didn't make any friends I was in the back of the room the whole time I ate lunch by myself in a corner I just I mean it was it was horrible it was horrible I can feel it telling the story. I can feel the residue of the horribleness of being this age. Like I can feel it living in my body still. <laughs> this is why like our teenage years are so formative. They really, that's why, that's why people make so many movies about high school because it really shapes us, right? It's such a sensitive time and it's such a fraction of our lives that's over so fast, you know? Oh, anyway, so I went home after the first day of school, crying. And I remember crying to my mom. I, I, I'm never going to make it. I'm going to drop out. I don't have to go to school. Um, I'll I'll find, I'll find something else to do. I'm not going back. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I can't believe you moved me here. Like I blamed her for moving us to this stupid island that I hated where I knew no one and everything was terrible. The next day, really the next day, I had Spanish class. And I was always really good at Spanish. My dad had a place in Spain, so I spent summers and vacations always um, always in Spain. So I spoke really good Spanish. And um, in Spanish class, I sat in the front of class because I felt like I feel at home here. I, I can speak really well. And there was another girl sitting in front of class who like sat down right next to me and she smiled and And she like looked friendly. I didn't think anyone else looked friendly. Like no one felt open. I really felt like everyone had their own cliques. They had their own people. No one, like they'd gone to school together forever. Everyone who went to this school had lived in this place since they were born, right? So they all knew each other so, 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 so well. No one had any interest in making new friends. I was really the new girl. And then this girl sat down next to me and she was open. Like she was just friendly. She was smiling and when the teacher asked the question, like both of us raised our hands and like gave the answer really well in really good Spanish. And we looked at each other and like inched a little bit closer together and like, okay, yeah, we can be friends, you know? And then I think we just left that class walking together and she was asking me where I, came, where I was from and I was new. She could tell I was new and and so-and-so. And I think I followed her out to the courtyard. There was a little corner where everyone went, there was like a, which is bizarre. It's called the smoking square, which in the back, like always on the side of the, of the courtyard or of the schoolyard, there's a little square where you were allowed to smoke standing in this square. It was like the sm- designated smoking area for 15 and 16 year olds, mind you, or 16, 17 year olds. And we walked out there, she didn't smoke, but then she had a friend who was there who did smoke and I smoked. So all of a sudden I was like talking to a bunch of people, made friends. And somehow like that second day, someone was like, oh, let's go somewhere after school. And I was like, we can go to my house. And they were like, okay. And I just like came home with like five new girlfriends. And I remember my mom talking about that. It was so funny. That first day you came home crying, you're hating this, you're never going to make a single friend. And the next day you came home with like five girls in tow laughing, like this whole like teenage group of girls having the best time just hanging out at our house, you know. And that person who sat next to me front of class, Spanish class, was my friend Olivia, who is to this day my best friend, right? I'm loving this walk down memory lane, by the way. I know this episode started out talking about cars, but it's all going to tie together and make sense in the end, I promise. So Olivia was my first friend and through Olivia, because Olivia, if you've ever met Olivia or heard about Olivia or seen Olivia on Instagram, you know she is the nicest human being in the history of the world. Like there's no one who doesn't love her. She is like this people magnet, you know, she's just an all in all, just genuine, amazing human being. So she was really great friends with everybody and through her, I met everybody and I made a bunch of friends. So all of a sudden I had more fun in this school than I ever had in my old school. I felt like I had a bigger community. I felt like I made, made deeper friendships. I really felt like I belonged. And she really was the person who opened the door for me to like connect with the group. I even remember like a couple of months in, like we were at a dinner or doing something like how 16-year-old girls hang out. And I remember someone is like, Rachel, you you know, you're so lucky, right? And I was like, what do you mean? Well, you're just so lucky that you're like in the gang. You know, we never have new friends. Like we, we never like let new people in the group. And I remember even at like by then, I think I was 16. I think even at 16, I was like, well, this is dumb, why are we not letting more people in the group? Why is this like a closed, like a teen, you know, but it's just how teenage girls operate, I guess. And I remember feeling really privileged, like I was allowed in the group and, you know, and to this day, I'm really close friends with a lot, not all, there was a really big group of girls, but with a lot of these of these girls. So that's, I mean, it's really, uh, I guess I have Olivia to thank for, <laughs> for most of my friendships. <laughs> So that first month of starting this new school, I landed in this group, which was a popular part of high school. Like I really was surrounded by these like popular people and felt really like lucky and like I belonged and blessed. And my role kind of quickly, because that's the kind of person I was at the time, became like the party person. So I was I don't know why, but I always knew how to get alcohol, even though we were way too young for that. You know, in Sweden, you have to be 20 years old to get alcohol. You can't buy alcohol at the grocery store or gas stations or anywhere. You have to go to this designated chain of government-run stores that are open. They're not open at night. They're barely open in the weekend. It's like very regulated here. You can't just buy booze anywhere. But I always I always knew someone who could get something to drink, always. I had a fake ID. I was that kind of troublemaker person. But in this new constellation of these new friends and this new school, I really liked, I think I liked that transition from like being the all ace perfect student to being the, <laughs> to being the school fuck up, I guess, or to being like the designated party starter can always have a good time. Like anyone who wanted to party, they would call me and I would figure that out. You know, I think I liked that switch. When You know, deep down inside, I was miserable, right? I had a lot of things I was dealing with. I was happy the way you're happy when things are going well for you when you're a teenager, but unhappy the way you're unhappy, like not knowing how you fit in to the world, carrying childhood trauma, carrying the mess of this super messy family and carrying a lot of grief and a lot of stuff that I had never figured out, right? It's like that kind of, (laughs) that kind of happy, right? So anyway, that first month, there was a party, like the first party of the year, like one of these big parties for the school start, not planned by the school, right? But like a like a drinking kind of party. And it was on the island. It was outdoors, connected to somebody's house, I think. There was like a little beach there, and it was still warm after the summer, so everyone would gather. And we were at someone's house, and I remember drinking an entire you know, one of those like <laughs> in Sweden at, at the time, I don't know if it's still called this, it was called like a bag in box. It was <laughs> so, this is so bad. You know, boxed wine, but like one of those huge boxes. It's like three bottles of wine in a box. And inside of the box, there's a bag that holds the wine. That's why in Sweden, you call it a bag in box wine. <laughs> I drank a whole one of those, which means, and I mean, mind you, I hadn't even turned 16. I was probably... At 15 years old, I don't know, 90 pounds, 100 pounds max. I was so little, so skinny, thought I was super fat, of course, thought everything was wrong with me, thought I was so ugly and so terrible. And oh God, this is really the like, why do we have to go through this time like at all? And why does it still linger? I mean, it's, it's crazy. And I drank a whole one of those things, right? So I was very, very, very drunk, like not functioning well drunk. But I'm Swedish. I don't know if it's ancestry or what, but I can really hold my liquor. I still can to this day. To this day, Dennis is always drunker than me, even if we're like, it's been so long since we were drunk. (laughs) I'm trying to think when was the last time him and I, like when was the last time we went to a party or a wedding? (laughs) years. I mean, it's been years. It's it's sad, but it's been so long. But he's always, always drunker than me. I mean, always. I'm always the one. Like, I, I never, yeah, I never get out of control drunk, even when I, we used to, I mean, back in those days when I used to drink a lot, I could always kind of hold myself together somehow. So we were at this party. I drank an insane amount. And then I ran out of cigarettes. And I just remember Like I could get cigarettes from someone here, but no, you know what? I'm going to drive and go to the gas station across the island and I'm going to buy myself some cigarettes because that's the smart thing to do here. And when I say drive, I don't mean drive a car. I mean drive a scooter because that's what we did at the time. Like The island is kind of big. So to go to get to school, like most people in class had a, a moped or a scooter of some sort. And I didn't have one yet. I remember I really was like, wanting one so bad I still had to take the bus I thought it was embarrassing I wanted to have one of those cool fancy fast scooters that you could like zip across the island with I didn't have one and Olivia had this really cool one she had like a kick like one that you kick start it was like it was like an old school type of Italian looking like moped a black one and you had to kick it with your foot like you had to like to start the engine you know it's like it was it was a cool one and uh and I was like, can I borrow your scooter? And she didn't know how drunk I was. I mean, we, we you know, we, did, we, we didn't know each other that well. And she was like, sure, you know, here you go. I took her keys. I get on the scooter. I put my headphones in because at the time I had a little iPod mini, <laughs> you know, one of those. I had a pink iPod, one of those. Oh no, it was called a shuffle. It was called a shuffle. I had an iPod. <laughs> I hope. If you're like a Gen or listening to this, I'm I'm sure all of this is just, it will make sense in the end, okay? An iPod Shuffle, it was before there were smartphones, we listened to music in these very futuristic MP3 devices. (laughs) And I think on the Shuffle, you could put like 999 songs or something. And that was like magic. I mean, it was the coolest thing ever. And I put my headphones in, which is the stupidest thing to do if you're sober, I was super drunk, put my headphones in, crank up the music, which is probably like Tupac or something. Yeah, most likely Tupac. That's all I listened to then. Put my helmet on. At least I had a helmet. And I drive across the island, which is probably like 15, 20 minute drive on this scooter. Scooter didn't go super fast. Yeah, I had to go all the way. It was a oil then. I don't know what kind of gas station it is now. Anyway. Get there, like I park the scooter, go inside, use my fake ID as a 15, 16 year old to buy cigarettes, no problem. Get back on the scooter, put my headphones back in, put my helmet on, and I just drive, right? And then, somewhere halfway back to the party, I just happen to glance, <laughs> I just happen to glance in my rear view mirror and I see there's a cop car there with the lights on, right? And I have no idea how long it's been following me because I have not kept any track, right? So what I found out later was that pretty close to that gas station, they had seen me like swerving across the road. I mean, it's obvious, like I'm a child, swerving across the road, very clearly drunk. But because I was listening to music and because I was so drunk... I didn't pay attention, so I didn't notice them. So they had been following me for a long time, not knowing how to get me to stop, thinking that they were going to run me off the road. So they were just following really closely behind me with the sirens on and the sound on and the lights on and everything. And I was just, I just didn't know, right? <laughs> and then, oh God, this story. I cannot believe I'm telling you this story in such detail. You're all well, very welcome. I hope this doesn't reshape <laughs> what you think of me too bad. So anyway, I I see it and I'm like, oh no. (laughs) And I didn't freak out like, oh, my life's over. I was like, oh no. Okay. And I pull over and it was one of those big like vans and the cop walks up to me. He's like, hi, okay. You know, can you please, you know, like he really like moved my scooter to the side of the road. He was very well aware of me being super drunk. Like he was just making sure I didn't stand in the road and Come here. You're going to have to come and sit in the back of the van. You're going to need to blow into this device. You know. And uh, and I remember, oh, he asked for my ID. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't have one. I only had my fake ID, and I was smart enough to not give him that. So I was like, no, I, I don't have an ID. He was like, "Okay, do you have any kind of like something to identify yourself with?" I'm like, "No, I know. I don't have anything." But, you know, I was just like buying some candy at the store and I'm just going right home and he was like, "Oh, but where is the candy?" And I'm like, oh, I forgot to buy, (laughs) I forgot to buy it. And he was like, okay, well, you're going to have to blow into this device now to test like how drunk am I? And I'm like, oh, I I don't think I can. You know, I have asthma. I have this like medical condition. So I I really don't think I'm going to be able to blow into that thing. And the guy looks at me like, I mean, imagine, like I thought I was so smart and so cute and so clever, (laughs) 15 years old. And this cop is like, it was two of them. (laughs) He's just please like blow into this device. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll try. (laughs) And I blow, but I don't blow properly. You know, you have to like keep blowing until it tells you to stop. I was like, and then I stopped and then it was like, it doesn't work. He's like, you're gonna have to blow firmly all the way until you hear the sound. And I'm like, it's so hard. You know, I have asthma and and (laughs) so I, I pretended to try like five times. And then finally this cop is like, okay, listen, It's very clear you're not going to do this. So we're going to have to take you to the hospital, (laughs) which means you're going to have to get your blood drawn and we're going to have to check the alcohol level in your blood instead of in your breath. And that's going to take about six to seven hours to get the results of that. And it means you're going to have to spend the whole entire night at the station with us after that. So is that what you want? And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to. No, that doesn't sound good. (laughs) And I was like, fuck. Okay, I'm fucked. Like, I know either way, I'm fucked. Hospital here. Like, I'm screwed. So I was like, "Okay, fine. So I blew into the thing. And it was like adult grown man drunk. Like, it was like, how was I on a scooter at all? Like, I was my level was so, so, so terribly high. Like I was like, okay, I'm so sorry. You're going to have to go. Like he was, he was polite. I remember they were nice to me. They weren't mean. And he was like, we're going to have to go to the station. We're going to have to take you in, you know, like you're very clearly drunk. And, and then I started crying, but I think the kind of crying I did was like, (laughs) it was the, not the fake crying, but the crying of, I wasn't that upset. I just really didn't want my night interrupted. I remember that. I wanted to get back to the cool party (laughs) with all my new friends. (laughs) And the guy goes, "You're gonna need an ID. We can't, like, we can't process you at the station without an ID. So we're gonna have to go to your house and pick up your ID. But that's okay. We can drive you." And they just like put the scooter in the back of the van, and, and we're gonna have to talk to your parents. And I was like, "Oh, but my parents are not home. Like, my my dad lives in Latvia, which he did, and my mom is not here. My mom is away. Uh, there's nobody home." And he's like, "Are you sure?" I said, yeah, no, there's nobody home. Like, I promise, I promise nobody's there. You can see there's not even a car outside. And we had this kind of clever garage where it looked like you would park outside, but there was like an indoor part to it. So I knew that when they came, they wouldn't see a car because my mom had parked her car on the other side. So we get there and there's no car. And they believed me that there was no, that my mom was not home. And we lived like at the time, like our house in Lidinga, it was on a little hill. It was like a really, really steep staircase, 100 and something, I don't know, 140 steps or something crazy. It really was a pain. It was like anytime we'd done groceries, it was a pain to get all the way up. So we stop and I'm like, you guys can just wait here. I'll just run up and get my passport, right? I'll just run up and get my ID. And the cop was like, no, we, we will be accompanying you. Like, you know, so both of them, two cops follow me all the way up the staircase. And I was kind of lucky because I had, it was a big house and my room was on the bottom floor and that floor had its own entrance that was separate from the main entrance. So I could kind of come and go as I wanted, which was great for me, terrible for my mom. (laughs) And, um, And my room was right there. So I was like, I'm just going to, and my mom was home. All my siblings were home. My stepdad was home. It was like a full house, but it was middle of the night, right? So I knew they would all be sleeping. So I was just thinking, I'll just sneak in here, go to my room, grab my passport, which was my ID at the time, and I'll get back down and my mom will never know. Right. I don't know how I thought that that would be possible, but I was like, she's never going to know. I might get a I might get a letter in the mail or something, but I'll just intercept that. And nobody will ever know that I went to jail. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? the quietest, no one has ever opened the door that quietly. Like I, I sobered up so quick, opened the door super quietly. The cops follow me all the way inside. It was like two big guys all the way inside. And I had a purse. And of course, in my purse, I had like, I had a little quart of vodka. I had cigarettes. I might've had some weed. I I just, I had bad things on me that I wasn't supposed to have. And I remember this cop going, if there's anything on your person that you would prefer to not have processed at the station, I'll be turning around and I'm going to count to 10 and then I'll turn around again. So he basically like gave me permission to offload all of my not allowed stuff, right? So I like took all my stuff out, all my alcohol, all my things, put it in the closet, <laughs> it's so Funny, oh, which he didn't know, but he was really helping me out there. And uh, got my passport. I was like, wait, I got it. We can go. And we go down. I I closed the door quietly. We made it all the way halfway down the stairs. Like I was so sure I was in the clear. Everything is great. When all of a sudden I hear from the very top of the house, someone yelling, what the... And then a lot of curse words, is the police doing here? And it's my mom opening the door to her bedroom window, just screaming like, what the fuck is the police doing? Rachel! (laughs) And I was like, no. And I remember this cop looking at me. Oh, not home, you said, huh? Hmm. Interesting. And we just turned right back around and like walked back into the house. And my mom is downstairs. (laughs) And she had little kids at the time. My siblings were, I had a five and a two-year-old sibling at the time. So, (laughs) you know, my poor mother, like she wasn't sleeping. She was a mother of littles and a mother of a teenager at the same time, which must have just been the worst possible combination. And she was in her robe and she had just woken up by the noise, I guess. Maybe like their their walkie-talkies or their radio systems or something. And... They are explaining what happened. Like, we stopped, pulled your daughter over for a DUI on a scooter. She's very drunk. She's extremely over the influence. We're going to have to take her to the station and process her. And she will have this. This will go permanently on her record. And, you know, there will be a fine to pay and whatever else, like, things that happens after that. It's not like you go to prison or something for a DUI when you're 15. But it's not great, right? And I remember this cop, like, you know what? So we really recommend in these cases, she's very young, your daughter, um, that you that you come along, it can be quite traumatic to to be at the station all night by yourself. And I remember my mom just done with me, right? She's so sick of me. We were always fighting. I was always drinking. I was always lying. I was stealing money. I mean, I was just I was just a mess. And she just went, absolutely not. Like she got herself into this mess. She will get herself out of this mess. Yeah, you can leave now. And she just like, sh- like shoot us out of the house. <laughs> And I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. We get in the car, drive all the way to the station which was in southern Malm, so it's like really far away from from where we were. It was a long drive. And they put me in a little room and they processed me and there was like I remember it was like fluorescent lighting and there was only one chair in the room and it was bolted to the floor and everything smelled like piss. And and I was wearing, oh, I was like, I didn't even really have like a proper sweater. I was wearing some something I thought was cute for a for a high school party. I was not wearing something that you would want to wear at the station, right? <laughs> not that not that you think about that as you get dressed, but you you get it. I was like so out of place, freezing cold. I it was it was bad. It was so bad. And they let me make a call. Like I, I don't know how many hours I was there. I think they picked me up maybe. It wasn't that late. It was like 10. Or something and maybe we made it to my house at 11. So it wasn't like that, you know, crazy timing. And I was a couple of hours. I didn't spend all night, but a couple of hours they kept me. And then I got to make a call and I had a boyfriend at the time or a guy I was, maybe he was about to be my boyfriend. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think he was about to become this guy I was seeing anyway. And uh, he was like, you're where? (laughs) I'm "I'm at the police station in San Oh, I'm coming to get you. <laughs> and he had turned 18. So he had a car. He had like an actual car and an actual license. So he came to pick me up. And what did like half drunken, like just spent several hours at a police station, like got caught for something for a criminal act like Rachel do? Does she go home and get a good night's sleep and then ask her mother for forgiveness in the next the next day? No. Rachel goes back to her house and picks up all the alcohol that the cops let her leave in her bedroom and takes her butt back to the party (laughs) I actually did that I actually I mean this is so crazy to think of like that this didn't shake me it didn't scare me I wasn't shook I wasn't scared I just got my vodka, like that I knew that I had in my purse earlier, and went back to the party. The party was walking distance from my house. It was in the same. It was in Stickling. I was in the same area where we lived, and I go back to the party. And by now it's like three or four a.m. Like it's like the party was like rounding up. Everyone's unbelievably drunk. I remember giving. I didn't have. Who had Olivia's keys? I think the I think they left the keys with my mom. So like Olivia had a little bit of trouble that she didn't have her scooter the next. There was like something there because I couldn't, oh, obviously they didn't give me my keys to the scooter. I didn't have the scooter back or they left it in my, with my mom's garage. I can't remember, but I go back to the party, drink some more, immediately get drunk again. And like 20 minutes into being back at the, I had this great story to tell too, right? I was so cool. I was at the station all night. And who do I see? Well, the same cop, <laughs> And this guy, he just looked at me and I remember his eyes were like, honey, like he was like, no, no. <laughs> like he wasn't even angry. He was just defeated. He was just like, what is up with this girl? Like, no, no, <laughs> Why? Why are you back here? Like go go home. And I'm like, I'm not driving. And I was like super I was so cocky, Jesus. Oh my god. Oh my goodness. So after that, you know, yeah, I had all of these I wasn't allowed to get my license. I had like a complete little probation thing. My mom obviously knew. My brother found out. My stepdad knew. Like the immediate kind of family, like in the house, everybody knew and everybody agreed to not tell my dad because we could all kind of see how nothing good is going to come from your dad, like having knowledge of this situation. And oh my God, I'm remembering now when I graduated from that school, Which I barely did. Oh my goodness. It was three years later, graduating high school. I had 70% absence. Like I was barely there at all. Still drinking. I mean, this story I just shared really was the beginning of my most destructive years, which was really high school was the worst, I think. Like the the year before and, and high school really was 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 some of the worst and that this kind of kicked off my time right so I mean I set the tone pretty strongly for what the next years would be I managed to graduate and when we had our graduation party which I had with two guy friends my mom (laughs) had this speech. (laughs) She had a speech. It was, I I wish I could find the transcript of the speech. I bet it's somewhere. She, she used to always, whenever she held a speech for like a birthday or something, or for our wedding, she would write it out word for word and she would give me the transcript afterwards. So I bet I have this somewhere. But she, I think her speech began, Rachel, I want to thank you. It's been a privilege being your mother. And now I was like 18 and off out into the world having graduated. It's been a privilege being your mother. I want to, I have so much to thank you for. I want to thank you for the time when you just started high school and two police officers walked into my house telling me that you had you had been arrested for drunk driving. I want to thank you for waking me up in the middle of the night, having to deal with that. I want to thank you for all the alcohol you've stolen from my, from the cupboard. Like she had like a little alcohol, like a cupboard for all the booze and replaced with water throughout the years and the many moments of embarrassment of me trying to serve my friends what I thought was a drink, but was actually water from the tap. I want to thank you for that time you you got alcohol poisoning and had to go to the hospital. I want to thank you for, and she was just kind of sharing a list of, oh, the time you went shoplifting and got caught. I got caught doing a lot of dumb shit. (laughs) And she just went down the list of all my most difficult like things I put her through, you know, and my dad was there at this party, and he had no idea, you know, he didn't know, he didn't know. (laughs) And I remember that speech ended really lovely, because she kind of like, turned it to, like, that I was her greatest challenge and her greatest blessing. And I was the one who gave her the gift of being a mother for the first time. And And she loves me so much and she's so happy that now I'm an adult, right? Finally, we we can put this behind us. Like it was a very sweet speech, but I remember this, like going through all of these embarrassing things that I did and my dad just sitting there quietly acting as if he knew all about it, but he didn't. Like I know he just, he just never knew. (laughs) Oh my goodness. What a, what (laughs) what a walk down memory lane. So the car that's sitting in my driveway now, you know, the reason I'm getting my first Swedish car in Sweden at 33 years old and not 18 is because I went through this unbelievably difficult, destructive, self-sabotaging time of my life, right? I had a lot of fun. I really did. I I had a lot of fun in my teenage years. I have great stories to tell. This is just one of many, 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 many great stupid stories that I have that I could share. I could pull them out <laughs> anytime. And I mean, this was life, right? I I I can't change anything that happened then. But I also know if it wasn't for me going through that really self-destructive, really heavy time of my life, I wouldn't have found my way to yoga. I wouldn't have found my way to meditation. I wouldn't have found my way to the healing, transformational experiences that really put me on another path. I think if I'd had this medium, mediocre, vanilla experience of things, right, if it was kind of gray and in between, I wouldn't have been pushed to making drastic, major changes in my life. And I'm glad, you know, I'm I'm now sitting here now. I'm glad I got to dig deep into that dark place so that I could really flip it on its head and step into the light in a really radical, drastic way. And I don't think I wouldn't have gotten there at an early age, right? I wouldn't have left Sweden. I was so young. All of this led me to, to leaving Sweden when I was, yeah, I hadn't even turned 19, right? And that was the beginning of this. There's an eagle that, an eagle just flew. It it just flew right in front of my window. As I said that, l- I, I kid you not, an eagle, like a white tip, like winged eagle, just, we see them very rarely here. And one was just like, right outside my window, as I said that, how beautiful. So yeah, I mean, I'm sharing this story now, because I'm in the mood to storytell. But also, to me, it serves as a reminder that our most trying times, or our most shameful things, or our most embarrassing behaviors or the most self sabotaging seasons of our lives they lead us somewhere right they really do take us somewhere and some of us need those big big moments of of awakening to actually make a change and i know that that's just the kind of cards i was dealt and the kind of person that i am is it was never meant to happen softly and gently and quietly for me it's all in and all the way all the time and I feel very grateful and very blessed to sit here at at 33 <laughs> living a living a party-free life honestly I could do with a little bit more partying like I would love to like go to dinner with my husband and friends and drink some wine like we have we don't even do that like I would love to have that level of fun I'm really grateful I don't have like alcoholism DUI depression level of fun in my life anymore and that that Season of my life passed really early, but then I get to sit here recording this podcast, looking out at the lake, in the forest, eagles flying in front of my face, a new car outside my door, husband and daughter and dogs just present here with me. I'm I'm grateful I fucked so much of it up at an early age so I could get things right later. And... If you happen to be in the season of your life right now where you think feel like things are fucked up, there is going to be a time where you get to sit and feel similar things. There is. There is. There is that turn, that change of seasons. It is just around the corner. Thank you for joining me for this really different special episode <laughs> of the podcast. I hope you still like me, okay? Tune in next week where we'll talk about something else. I love you. Have a beautiful rest of this day and I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy this show, make sure you listen and rate and review and follow all the episodes of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart, available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, and wherever you normally get your shows. And of course, a big thank you to my sponsors. Make sure you support them the way they support this podcast. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio, and I will see you next week.